Every day we pass by people who have stories that need to be heard because we need to be shaped by them. This is one of those stories. Oday Shaheen, brother, it is so good to see you and I am so excited for us to be having this podcast. Same here. It's been, it's an honor being here. We talked a lot about it. We, we, uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad I could make it and, and I could be here with you guys. Well, I thought of you actually the other day and someone sent me a meme and uh, the meme said a Muslim Christian and a Jew walked into a coffee shop and they bought coffee, they talked, they laughed, and they became great friends. And then it said, it's not a joke. It's what happens when you're not a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that because I thought, wow, in a lot of ways, that's our relationship. And I was actually thinking back, where did we first meet? And uh, Redemption Church was having a multi-faith event, not an interfaith, a multi-faith where there were Muslims and Christians. We shared a meal together and we talked about distinctions of our faith and was asking questions. And what I liked about that is, because I remember somebody making the statement, Muslims would love for the Christians to be converted to Islam and the Christians would love for the Muslims to be converted to Christianity. And we were saying, we're different. And let's talk about those differences. Let's understand each other more. And so that was, man, that was 2014. I can't believe it's been six years ago. I mean, that was when we first, my family first moved out here. It's almost six years to the day yep. that that took place. And so our friendship has been one that's just been great for me. It's been informative to me. And so I've appreciated it deeply. So tonight, or today rather, in, in us discussing things, I want it to be like any one of our regular conversations in which yep. when we can, we've tried to fit in a meal and we always do it around a meal because yep. we know it's going to be protracted. We either do what, Chinese or, uh, or Mexican? Or steak. I think those <laughs> or are, steak. I think those or have steak. been the three that we've rotated yeah. through. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, that night, six years ago, whenever I walked up to you and I said, Hey, do you think you'd ever want to grab dinner and continue some of this conversation? What was in you to make you say to a totally random guy that you met at this event, yes, I'll take time and have conversations with you? Well, first of all, I, I you know, I think it was a great event. Um, I think the, the, the leaders at that time wanted to understand others and I had I, I don't know how they got a hold of me, but somebody said, "Hey, you want to just talk about your experience?" And I, I did. Um, I think that if you have not reached out with an open palm, I wouldn't have said yes. I think you you, you were very welcoming and um, you wanted to hear more and, and exchange ideas. So I think curiosity and compassion were the two things that laid the pavement for this friendship. It started by you, and I have to give you credit for that. But in terms of what was my self-interest in me saying, yeah, this is a good idea, was, well, I always complained about, or, or just not me, but generally Muslims, uh, mainstream Muslims at least complain that they're, A, not presented well, right? Or B, um, even if they are presented in the media, they're mispresented. Mm -hmm. Or C, that there's not enough dialogue just person to person. So I take every opportunity for me to 
own up to what I um, don't like and see if what, what change I can do. So I was not expecting anything in return. I was just expecting just to talk to another fellow human being mm-hmm. and then also a, a Christian. So always look at people as human beings first. Well, Ode, why do you think people are so apprehensive to meet and talk to people that are different from them? I, I think it's because it's comforting and convenient not to talk about hard discussions uh, and not to have really heart-to-heart conversations with people that you disagree with. I mean, we live in a world where everything is convenient for you. So any hardship or any instances where there could be hardship, people try to shy away from it. And I think we are too comfortable. And if you come to a conversation where you disagree with somebody, well, things are going to go south. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that should be the basis for any relationship. I mean, for God's sake, just like, you know, my wife is here. We disagree every day on things, right? I mean, welcome to the club. Uh, I, I got to admit, she has to win and she's always right. So even when I'm wrong and we're right, right? So it, disagreements happen even in the closest relationship. It would make sense for us to realize that disagreements are going to happen with other people. So how does it sharpen you? How has it sharpened you personally? To have relationships with people that are different. I think it intellectually stimulates your worldview. If you're so confident in what you believe in, you should go out there and share it. And in fact, I would say that if you're so confident in what you believe in and you think it's right, you should not only share it, but make others or convince others of what you're talking about. Well, and obviously you come from an Islamic worldview. So... This is an absolute softball question to say to us, as a Muslim, what is it that you believe? Now, I know that that question can be so wide-ranging and everything else. But if, if we were on an elevator together and we're going to the 40th floor and, and I said, well, you said you're a Muslim. I said, well, what is that? What is it that you believe? Tell me what that is. Right. We believe in one absolute God who has sent us many prophets and messengers before in many different forms and many different times. And the message has been consistent. So I always explain to people that look at Islam as just the kind of the, the, the redheaded child in the family. We're, we're compared to Christianity and Judaism, the history of those two religions. It's a very new religion. It's a new kid in the block kind of religion. But what Islam actually says is actually very well connected and very well rooted in the Abrahamic faith. Uh, Jesus, Moses are the most quoted people in the in, um, in the Quran, which is our holy book. More quoted than Muhammad himself. So, if, if people really look at it, Islam, they would say it's deeply rooted in the Abrahamic faith, the message of Moses and Jesus. But absolutely, the the strongest principle is the oneness of God, the belief in one God, and um, His messengers and prophets, including Muhammad, including Jesus, Moses, Ishmael including all the prophets that came before Noah, Mary, right? She is one of the most honorable women in our religion. So we have these characters to learn from. So I, I, I just believe Islam is basically the last straw that God has pulled out as a mercy to remind people of the message that he's been sending since day one. That's all it is. I mean, we, apart from that, there are differences. There are differences, right? So we, we don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. 
right? We do believe in there's only the Father is a God, and there's no other divine being other than the Father. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, we also believe that Muhammad is a messenger and a prophet of God who brought to us the Quran from the angels. But the message in terms of what's in the Quran, 90% of it is something that's repeated in the Holy Scripture. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that answered it, but. No, that's, we're on the 40th floor. Yeah. So there's so much that can be said, right? And, yeah. and I'm, I am going to ask you some other questions about it. But for you to even articulate what you just did, most likely means that you had a family that raised you in this worldview. Tell me what it was like growing up as a kid and your family's story, because I know that they came over from the Middle East. And so kind of just give us what that looked like for you growing up. Sure. So my dad is actually a lawyer. He was a lawyer in Jordan. Most lawyers get paid well. So so he didn't really find much reason to want to go outside the uh, Jordan and whatnot. At the same time, it's very rare for someone to get an opportunity to come to the U.S. So somebody was getting married from the embassy, and he happened to have met staff from the U.S. embassy there, and and they offered him um, an opportunity to see if, if he ever wants to visit. Uh, he, he didn't visit. He didn't visit the U.S. for an extensive period of time after that. But when his mother passed away, um, I think that was his excuse, okay? And his phone, his father and his mother passed away. That was his excuse not to want to travel. And he said, okay, let's, let's try it out. Let's try this America thing. Uh, went to the U.S., went from working as a lawyer to working in a restaurant, cleaning dishes, right? So, you know, my dad is, uh, has become one of the, um, he's become a prominent Muslim leader n- 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 nationwide, and he's a professor in Islamic studies, teaches in multiple universities. He's, he's, he's grown himself out to be an influential person in the circle of, of imams, or imam means um, Muslim leader, as in like a priest mm-hmm. or a bishop, et cetera. Um, that's my story. And I just happened to be kind of the secondhand person coming in where I, at a young age, I had to come in to a new country, new people. And I remember this because I was in, we, I think we went through either New York or Chicago before we landed in Arizona. And I, and I lived in California for six months and then Tucson and Arizona, Phoenix, most of my life. So, but I was amazed. I was, I was in the airport and I was, you know, we had a Native American right across from me. Didn't know he, that was a term, right? I, I just realized I was a kid. There's so many people from different that look different, mm-hmm. and I was curious. I was like, "Where am I?" You know, we had a, a, a white gentleman, an African American gentleman, and suddenly I was from a country where everybody kind of looked the same, and there was really only two religions. The vast majority were Muslim. The Jordan population of Christians like what maybe nine, you know, five to ten percent, maybe mm-hmm. fifteen. So we had two religions there, but we all looked the same. I mean, very similar, right? So all of a sudden I'm going to this country and everybody's looking different. And man, I'm I was a curious kid. I wanted to learn everything. I'm like, who who's this person? Why do they look different? What is their history? What is their background? Where does their family come from? What do they believe in? So as a kid, I was naturally just bothering my dad about all these questions. 
until I realize I got to do my own digging. So I think your curiosity and your compassion and my curiosity just was a good combination for this mm -hmm. to work mm -hmm. um, and, and learn from each other. Because even regardless of the things we disagree on, I think I learned a lot from you in our conversations, right? That goes both ways. So, Well, yeah. coming over here, your family establishing themselves here, you having the convictions that you have, looking at the world as it is, you also have talked very specifically with me about times where you've uh, been aggravated with the misconceptions that you feel like people have uh, towards some of the Muslim communities. Um, what do you feel like are some of the misconceptions that people have whenever they think in a monolithic block of all Muslims are this way and that right. way? That I think that's a great question. I'm going to answer it in twofolds. I'm a, I'm a, my background is finance. I'm a business guy. So there's always this kind of straight up business answer. What, what is it in for me kind of answer? And then there's what is it for me as a human? <laughs> That's kind of how I look at things. You know, sometimes my wife doesn't like that when I kind of think like that. It's like always business-like. But for the folks that are purely on the other side, we're like, what is it in for me based on that question? Mm -hmm. Islam is 1,400 years old. And it is the fastest growing religion in the world. We have, when I say Muslims, there's Turks, there are Africans, there are Middle Eastern people. There's a growing population of Hispanic Americans that are, are converting to Islam. Uh, most uh, Arabs in the Middle East only represent 20% of the entire population, mm -hmm. right? There's Southeast Asian, right? Population Indonesia. growth, right? Indonesia, Malaysia. Philippines, right? The reason why I'm saying this is all these people and in the shortest period of time compared to becoming one of the greatest religions in the world is there's something going on there. People should ask themselves, this isn't just somebody going to a country and forcing people to convert. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because a bunch of Bedouins in the Middle East didn't have access to a huge Navy to convert all these people in such a short amount of time. Right. I mean, not enough war, not enough weapons. If you believe most of these people were, were forced to convert by force. It, it, it just logically doesn't make sense. So all I ask is for people to be intellectually respectful of their competing brothers and sisters in another faith. It's just don't just underwrite it. You could. It's actually for our benefit when people underestimate Islam because we have these conversations that surprises people. Don't just believe what the media is telling you. You know, even historians, secular historians agree there was no mass conversion that happened. Even in a very practical level, you living here in the States, what are other almost day-to-day -day misconceptions that Yeah, so let's have? talk about, for example, women, right? And women is a huge topic when it comes to Muslims. I mean, I always like to have Muslim women come and speak about this topic, but the misconception is that they don't have their own freedom, they don't have their own... Um, ability to act and behave whatever they choose to. I could tell you right now, knowing my wife and knowing my mom, they're the boss of the house. You know, they're the ones who make the decisions. They're the <laughs> ones who have a say because it's so easy for us. And I mean, us as men to go out and make money and kind of bring back 
bring back bring home the bacon. I know that's hard for a Muslim to say. <laughs> I don't eat bacon, but hey, it's an American <laughs> saying, right? But it's actually the hard part is raising a family. We always say a mother raises a generation, a father raises a kid, right? So the the respect that we have for our mothers uh, is 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 very important. I mean, the Quran says. The heavens is underneath the mo- the, your mother's feet. And, and and it would say, regardless of what, even the faith of your parents, you have to respect them, abide by them. So there's a misconception of the covering of the hair as if that's of an oppressive tool, right? So when people see a nun walking by, they say, man, look, look, look at her. She's you know holding her beauty to herself and she's pious. But when we see a Muslim woman, Oh, you know, she must be oppressed or something is going on there in her home, right? That's one misconception. The other is beards. You know, I have a very light beard. Usually I'm a a bald head kind of guy, but Jesus had a beard. Moses had a beard. All these greatest people on, the greatest prophets in the Bible had beards. Yet when we see a beard on a Muslim, like, oh, that, you know, that looks a little different. That looks a little weird. Or, or when there's a picture of terrorist, quote unquote terrorist, anywhere in mainstream media, always a guy with a beard holding AK-47, shouting Allahu Akbar. I mean, we, we don't. It, it makes it seem like that's what we do 24/7. We don't have we don't have time for that. Average Muslims, even American Muslims, are very successful men and women in this country who are just like you and me and make their life every day. So. Those are very common misconceptions about Muslims or the fact that Muslims are terrorists, right? That's a huge one because the Muslim population is, what, 1.7 billion people? So you could easily pick out, you know, a handful of people that of, of the 1.7 billion that are, in, are up to no good. So people kind of—and I want to say people. I say institutions pick and choose— how Muslims should be portrayed in the media. Um, I would say unfairly because for some reason, Islam is on trial whenever something, an event happens, a bad event happens, right? I'm, I remember 9-11, for example. <laughs> 9-11, everybody remembers as American, you know, where were you in 9-11? I was in school, right? I was in school. My dad was afraid for my safety, had one of his... Um, Members of the congregation, he's an he was an imam that back then in Tucson, and he took me out of the school and took me back to my dad's home. But we all remember that day. We all remember the incidents that happened. You know, I had good and bad things happen after that event. Well, I remember a conversation that we had that you actually talked about. There was a time with some of the some of the speech that was going on in politics and from politicians, in which you and your wife, you felt it acutely in which you said, I don't know if we feel comfortable to go out of the house. Uh, I don't know if you remember having that conversation with me. And I can remember thinking, wow, that I've never felt that way to, to have a feeling of, man, if I stepped outside my house, is something going to happen to me? And that concept's so foreign for me, you know? And so that was... Uh, a powerful moment to me whenever you said that. I know being a Muslim American, uh, you have a range of different experiences. 
tell me what you feel like are some of the best experiences you've had as an American and, and give me an experience where it's been one of the most trying ones that you've had as so, an American. In continuation of kind of the, uh, just post 9-11, since we were just talking about it, but, we, you know, people were confused of what's, what, what happened. And people were angry, and, and rightfully so, that we had civilians that died for, for no good reason, and it was a cowardly act, right? And because there was no, edu- there was no education, people didn't know about Muslims, fear crept in. And when fear com- comes in with ignorance, you get, you, you get people that do crazy things. So we had people send us fake anthrax, right? Because my dad was a, a Muslim leader at that time, and we had masked men throw bricks while my dad was driving on the highway. Um, fast forward. Fast forward now, this election year. I don't feel comfortable. I, I, there was a lot of instances where I... I I, I, I've asked my wife, please, you know, only go when you really have to. Because she wears a, a scarf, and that's a flag for our religion. That's, it be, has become a flag. Not because our ability to practice ours, but I would say our ability to uphold the Abrahamic faith. Right? Which is kind of a different angle to it. There's a lot of things that we do that are, uh, I would say, obligatory if you read... <laughs> the Bible upon Christians and Jews to do that we do anyway. So, but anyways, those were moments where I was not proud to be an American at that, at those moments. And then there were moments where we had women church goers calling my mom's house during 9-11 because she, we were out as kids and now I'm a kid. I didn't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. There were some Christian women that actually called my mom and asked, what, what do you need for groceries? What, what can I bring you? Well, how can I help? And to me, that was, those moments gave me hope. And I don't know who that woman was. I don't know her name. I wish I do. But things like that just bring, restore my faith in humanity, right? And then fast forward now, there's a lot of enlightenment of people saying, wait a minute, there's more to this than what we hear on Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever you listen to about Muslims. There's more to that. There's no way this is the only truth. Why? Because apparently the media has a good record of lying about other things. So, so it, it was kind of an obvious logical step for people to realize there's other opinions out there. And that allowed Muslim voices in the politics to rise up and present, present ourselves. As Christians, we want, or at least we should, want our Muslim neighbors to feel love from us. And on a really practical level, what advice would you give to Christians who may think, man, the whole thought of the subject of Islam seems daunting to talk about, or I don't want to be culturally insensitive to talk to somebody who you know, maybe dress differently or, or I don't know what conversations to have. Let's just say in my community, in Morrison Ranch, if my next door neighbor moves in and he's from Pakistan yeah. or he's Muslim, what are you saying? You know, I smile because nine out of 10, it's the Muslim neighbor that's actually afraid to talk to you mm. also. So the human element of fear and ignorance, 
plays out, I think, in both communities, because I don't think we're doing enough dialogue in both ways. I don't think just it's a Christian thing. I think it's more of both sides need to talk to one another. How can I, you know, there's only three, what, three, four million Muslims? How, how could the population forget, forget the, you know, mass media tools. How could the population know about Muslims if you don't, if we don't engage? So there's a responsibility one way. So I would say just be natural and talk about your everyday things because that's how you start. Right. I mean, I was talking to my neighbor, I met my neighbor um, and we're talking about our neighborhood. We're talking about the things that are happening. I mean, there's so many normal things that we do every day that we could find commonalities with. And I think that's a great start. I think looking at somebody as just a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew, it's not the only identity that people hold. Is that just, it's only their faith. It's very important to Muslims. Their faith is very important. But it's, uh, there's other things that Muslims and Christians and Jews and people of all faith, even or lack of any religion, they have commonalities, finding the middle ground, finding things to talk about, you know, going out there and introducing yourself is a great step. And I would always encourage my Muslim brothers and sisters to do the same. We always complain, like I said, about us not being presented well. Well, if we don't go out there and talk about who we are as Muslims, then we will get misrepresented. And I think that happens a lot in my community because we're a lot of the first generation immigrants are very hardworking and they will think of America as a, a place to be financially prosperous, but they don't realize that their children are not thinking of America as only a place of financial prosperity. It's home. It's not just a place to, to kind of make money and, and get and leave. It's a place. This is your home. Right. So the young people are changing the conversations. I mean, part of they want to be part of the solution on the problem rather than just a lot of the attitudes of first generation Muslim Americans, which is nine to five, go home, go to mosque, come back, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> and that's funny, too, because there's a lot of things that Muslims and Christians agree on that are negative in culture that are impacting the home in, in terrible ways. And uh, that is something that I've always appreciated about my Muslim friends is how quick they are to talk about God, quick to talk about society and the challenges to it. Yep. And that's something for me that is, that has sharpened me in having discussions. But, but I must tell you, it absolutely breaks my heart. And I mean that in the most sincerest way to think on a personal level that you or your wife legitimately would live in fear or your community live in fear of the unknown of random violence or whatever else. And that is just horrible. And I want you to know that the loving body of Christ, the believers, Christians, do not want you to live like that and wholly condemn anything that would happen to you that would make you feel that way. 
Yep. No, I appreciate that. I think that was, I know you, Sean. I, I, I think that that level of respect and um, just wanting to be God-fearing is part of your character. And I think it'd be important for people to be the same across face the same way. But also what I want to say is this is not specific to us Muslims, right? You know, we have our African-American brothers and sisters, our immigrant communities from Latino countries, Mexico, etc., who live in a different type of fear. And I don't think that's the country that I always wanted to be part of, not a country of fear, but a country of spirit, a country of, of prosperity, of freedom, of, of freedom of speech. You know, I chose to be an American. I wasn't born to be an American. Mm. I, I got to remind people of that sometimes because I appreciate being here. But this appreciation is out of the principles and the values we share. And if those principles and values we share, then America just becomes a a boat for financial prosperity or a temporary place. And I don't think that's happening. I think that, you know, my brother-in-law came to the U.S. recently and and he was boggled. And I'm like, what are you confused about? And he said... There's, I go to Walmart and there's so many people from that look so different and I'm realizing and I'm trying to ask myself, how does everybody come to alignment of how to behave in society and to have a system with people from different faiths and backgrounds? And and I told him, hey, Muhammad, what do you think is the answer? What, what do you think? You've been here two, three months. It's always interesting to hear people's perspective. I lived in the U.S. most of my life, so hearing him say this, gave me a newer appreciation. He said, well, there's only one way. And and I said, what is that? He said, there has to be some just system or pseudo-just system or something that espouses good values where there's equality between me and you before the law. There is uh, freedom of speech that's allowed. There is an ability for me to be treated and respected the same way as everybody else, Right. Are there cracks in that? Yeah. And there, there, there's, there's exceptions to that? Yes. Are, are we going on a path where we're getting away from that? Yes. But hey, that is the value system in America that makes it special. Well, I remember, um, goodness, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now, that you said, hey, um, come down to university and mill. Because there's, <laughs> we're having a we're having a protest down there, and it was over a I remember that a, a subject that was hotly contested and debated. I, I believe it. I believe it was the capital, uh, uh, the embassy being moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Yep. And uh, you were with your Palestinian brothers, and and you said, "Come on down." And I'm like, "Wow, okay, uh, this is going to be curious." And I went down there to observe what's going on and a lot of great people that were down there and no one's throwing rocks at anybody. There's none of the caricatures, you know, the misconceptions or stereotypes that some people would throw out there. And I remember specifically one protester who had a sign raised and it just said, where are the peacemakers? And that was convicting. I thought, yeah, you know, there, people can have different views of 
different political issues, right, for any number of reasons and come to different conclusions. But the role of a peacemaker in our society and going forward, how much more? And I don't think that means giving up on truth. I don't believe that that means as well that you have to treat people like they're dogs that you don't agree with. And that night was interesting. And what I loved even more, uh, you and your wonderful wife, we all went across the street to one of the best eating establishments known <laughs> to mankind, known as Chick-fil-A there on- I love on, their fries. On, I could eat their fries every day. <laughs> on University and Mill. And then we had another hour and a half conversation in which it ranged from finding doctors and the experiences of finding doctors and misconceptions there that went back and forth and just us being able to inform one another. And I think that is just so incredibly important. And I think we need a lot more of that. Yep. This podcast just scratches not even the surface of a thousand different subjects that can be talked. But what I know is that we have maintained a friendship for six years. And it's been difficult at times in conversations that we've had. Not to maintain the friendship, but that the conversations have been difficult. Mm -hmm. Where it has been very pointed, very hot, very back and forth. And at the end of the day saying... This man is created by God and valued. I'm created by God and valued. I want to show love for him and love for God. And that drives into the relationship to say, listen, just listen. Hear an experience that's different from yours. Be humble, be gracious, be loving. And that is something that I've appreciated in you. I think you've represented your people very well. And I, when I say your people, right, not just your faith, but your family, because I know Appreciate that. your family's incredibly important to you. Your father, there's not a conversation we don't have that your dad doesn't come <laughs> up in there somewhere. Yeah. Right? He's a big part of, of me, and so is my mom, too. Yeah. That's right. And so my encouragement to other people that are listening to this would be to move into, to lean into the others who are around us. If it's the Muslim leaning into the others who are around him or the right. Christian leaning into the others that are around them. It goes both ways. Right. And to have those conversations, to risk it, to say, oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know. And then to have those conversations. Yeah, because the chance of you encountering a Muslim in your workplace or your neighborhood is is becoming more likely. It could be Caucasian American. It could be an African American. You never know. Uh, so don't make any assumptions because the faith is so pervasive in society that it's not just a Middle Eastern man or Middle this, Eastern woman. This is this is very Muslim. This is very true. And we've also had conversations too, in which I've said to you that to me your freedom of religion is important. Your freedom to practice is important. Because I want you to be as equally convicted about the freedom of religion in Muslim countries, of minorities that are there, of Christian minorities or whatever, and to take up that cause as well. And, and that civility, 
that that baseline of respect for one another, I think goes a long way. And, you know, while there's differences, and to be clear, for anybody who's listening, you know, you look at salvation differently than I look at salvation. I look at original sin differently than you would look at original sin. All of that, of it, grace versus some level of works, uh, of, of, of how you practice your faith, all of these things are different. Um, but we would never get to conversations about those if we never sit down with one another. Yep. We're Muslim guy and a Christian guy talking to one another about kind of friendship and building bridges. But if we look at the net impact that we could make as a society, if we have more of these conversations, we could make an impact on societal issues that are happening in this country. Mm. We have no disagreement or very little disagreement on abortion. Yet how many babies die every day? We have no disagreement or little disagreement on the epidemic of drugs. <laughs> we don't have no disagreement there. We don't have an issue on alcoholism, meaning the, 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 the issue that pervades our young people into these diseases. And homelessness. We have so many things to work on to make a net impact into our society. And I think people that are not genuine tend to kind of make the disagreements as a forefront of the conversations. While that's important and, you know, definition of salvation is part of the strongest part of your faith. I get that. That's great. You know, that nobody can question that. The, the definition of oneness of God for me is a big principle. But all these societal problems are happening around us while we're talking about these principle things, but we got to focus also on our deeds, right? We got to focus on what can we do in our own spectrum, in our own society and improve the lives of others who are not even Christian or Muslim or don't even have time to have these conversations because they're in a state of disarray or repression. To me, that's important because what did Jesus do? Who were the first followers of all the prophets? There were the undesirables, the poor, the people that, you know, the crazy people. The Look, least, the last, and the lost. Yes. Those were the first people that were the followers of all the prophets. In fact, we say in Islam, that is the first sign of prophethood. Because those are the people that we should serve. And I think that we live such a short, amount, short life that we could go, you know, I'm not here to prove Muslims are good. I'm not here to prove, you, you know, you should have a conversation of, it's good to have conversations with Muslims. I'm way beyond that, I'm, you know, and I think people should be way beyond that because we live in the 21st century. There's 6 million plus Muslim Americans in this country. Let's work together on things we agree on. That's what's more important because if we, if we have this contentious relationship as communities, the atheists ideologies and the anti-religion ideologies will only grow, will only become stronger, will only be used as tools to put limits on freedom of speech or, you know, or religious activity. There's a huge number of young people not going to church anymore or not going to the mosque anymore. Secularism is pervasive. Secularism has become the tool to make young people give young people and actually generally old people a green light to say, 
you know, right off going to church, right off talking about God, right off talking about religion, right off talking about Muslim. So I just think we got to take it a, take it a notch up. How can we serve? How can we work together to serve humanity? And it won't start unless we have conversations. Period. Right. Oday, I, I, uh, if you're okay with it, I once heard a man say that you can not hate people that you pray for. And I love that thought. And um, I haven't ever hated you. The point is loving and praying for those who are different from us. And even even this the, tonight, and, I, and I, I hope you give me grace to go here. Recently, you've experienced something. Um, uh, do you mind yeah. telling yeah, us yeah. what that is? Yeah. Because I know your eyes watering so, so, right now. Yeah, yeah. So three, three, three and a half weeks ago, oh, I was eating dinner and I had... Uh, Half of my half of my face kind of got stuck, and um, my my wife was like, "You know, we're eating dinner." So she's like, "What's going on?" And and um, I realized that my right side was kind of not moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to the doctor, ER. They said it's Bell, Bell's palsy. So you know, thank God I'm improving a little bit. But well, you also had a car wreck, did you not? And I had a car wreck the day after. Totaled it. Totaled it. Totaled it. <laughs> Well, it's funny you ask that because my insurance just, uh, they just said it's totaled. We're not even going to fix it. It's not worth it. You know, it, so it happened right one another. I, I think COVID has made me a better Muslim because there's so many things that distracted us from who we are as individuals, how we deal with one another, mm-hmm. how we deal with ourselves, with our loved ones. That where COVID kind of forced us to put a pause on that and start thinking about the unthinkable things that that we get distracted, right? From, you know, whether watching TV or looking at your phone or being going out every night. Suddenly you have the time to, why am I treating this person that way? Could I be a better person? Why am I talking that way? Who, who What can I do to help others? Other than the personal challenges that happened, I think they really helped me make my faith stronger. Well, I know that you're going through a lot and even other things beyond what we're discussing here. Yeah. And if you're okay with it, I would just like to say a prayer for you, my brother. Can I do that? Yeah, thank you. Yes, Absolutely. of course. Father, I thank you for Oday and I thank you for his wife and his family. Father, I thank you that you brought them to America. I thank you that six years ago you intersected our lives together. And Father, I thank you that you created him and that you create good things. And that Father, I just thank you for uh, my friendship with him. And Lord, we pray for physical healing. And we pray that uh, his family will be blessed in the pursuits that they have. And Lord, we pray that we can continue to have wonderful, meaningful relationships and dialogue. Lord, I pray that you keep the evil one far away from him and his pursuits. And Lord, uh, give him grace ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ode, bro, you mean the world to me. Thank you for putting up with a lot of my junk. No, thank you, man. Thank you. You've been gracious. Thank you for being compassionate. And thank you for taking the time for this podcast. I appreciate it. No, no worries. This is an honor. And I think people need to have more conversations like this. So I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. Do you happen to know any other jokes about Muslims and Christians and Jews by chance? (laughs) 
That's a good one. I didn't prepare for that. 